Hello everyone and welcome to episode 90 of the Unlocking British English podcast, a podcast where I talk about a variety of different topics in real British English so that you can improve your listening comprehension, learn a little bit more about British culture and about how to learn languages more effectively. My name is Shane and in today's episode we're going to talk about healthcare in the UK. Today we're going to learn a little bit about what we call the NHS, which is our National Health Service. In the UK, UK, as most of you will probably know, we have access to free healthcare through the NHS, um, and the NHS deals with nearly a million patients every day from all walks of life with all kinds of different problems. Um, and so, in today's episode, we're going to talk a little about what it is, how it came about, and a little bit about how it works and, and what might happen in the future. Uh, so, that's going to be the subject for today's episode. So, stick around, I'm sure it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, before we dive into the full episode, uh, just again big thank you to everyone that's already joined our free learners group there are over 50 of us now in the group which is pretty cool so if you're looking for a place where you can connect with other people who are also listening to this podcast and who are also learning English just like you uh, then might I suggest you join our free private learners group you can click the link in the description wherever you are listening to this episode to join for free uh, otherwise you can contact me on Instagram at unlocking British English uh, or you can email Email me, unlockingbritishenglish at gmail.com, uh, and transcriptions will be available on the website that is www.unlockingbritishenglish.com. So, yeah, the NHS, the National Health System. Um, the, the NHS actually began on the 5th of July in 1948. Uh, but before we talk about the actual start of the NHS, let's talk a little bit about what was happening with healthcare in the UK before that. Um, so before the NHS existed, doctors would work privately and they would work within separate boroughs right there would maybe there would be like an organization that controlled the doctors in this city and that city and this town and this place um, depending on what kind of area you lived in you would be under the control or jurisdiction under the rules and regulations or whatever of of that area but basically um, it was privatized and it was messy there was lots of people doing lots of different stuff all over the place um, and quite frankly the quality of healthcare wasn't really that great especially if you didn't have a lot of money um, you know pain and discomfort were just kind of accepted as being normal if you were ill if you were unwell you were going to be in pain you were going to be uncomfortable and you just had to kind of get on with it um, you know, there's a lot of descriptions of the the family doctors or the, you know the doctors that would come to your house to visit um, being quite well not very not being very personable right they had a lot of people to go and see there was a lot of people that they couldn't necessarily do a lot for and so um, it was maybe quite a brief trip they would they would be quite harsh with you they'd be quite tough they would just say right this is what it is and then they would go um, so yeah like I say especially if you didn't have money working class people did not expect to be comfortable to have a good time um, you know to be comfortable or happy working with doctors uh, and in fact most working class people wouldn't have even bothered trying to contact a doctor unless it was something that they thought that was was very serious and as soon as you thought you could stop seeing the doctor you would stop um, you know people had to pay for their doctor they had to pay for the medicines uh, and like I say the attitude between you know, from the doctors to the patients especially the working class people was uh, was not great but this was just accepted 
as normal. And then obviously if you had a little bit more money, if you were more middle class or high class, then um, yeah, you know, you would get better service, you would get better quality service and things. But um, it was it was quite well and regularly noted that there was a need for improvement with our healthcare system. Um, not just from the patients, but also many doctors noting. Uh, and in fact, one of the um, one of the bigger kind of catalysts, one of the bigger things that sort of started to push a bit more momentum towards this idea of a national health system of of making improvements to to the health service uh, was actually a book called The Citadel, uh, which was written by a guy called Dr. A.J. Cronin. Uh, so he wrote the book called The Citadel in 1937, um, and it was it was a book that was quite controversial at the time because it criticised uh, the failures of, of healthcare in the UK, basically. It criticised um, the healthcare systems that we had, what we were doing and what we weren't doing. Um, and the book itself is just based on a story of a doctor from a small Welsh village uh, who who kind of climbs the ranks to become a doctor in London. And through that story, you see lots of criticisms and things like that. Um, so it, like, there were lots of different things that started to raise questions, let's say, about uh, what we were doing with our health system and um, the need to improve it. Um, and the, the final big thing that really made it clear that we needed to change what we were doing with healthcare in the UK um, was the Second World War. So after World War II, the hospital service was massively in need of reorganisation, um, not just from the sheer amount of work that doctors and things were having to do because of the amount of injuries, uh, but the actual war itself had badly damaged a lot of hospitals. Um, all of the hospitals in London, for example, had been affected, if not completely destroyed by bombings. Um, yeah, hospitals were a mess, there was no money, um, and everything kind of needed reorganising. And so um, this is where the the main idea of what we now have as the National Health Service initially came from. The people who created the NHS didn't just start with like a blank sheet of paper though, it wasn't just an idea that came from nothing. Uh, the NHS was basically a uh, a, a rationalisation, a bringing together of what already existed, right? So we take all of these li little different bits that we've already got working before the NHS and we start to bring it together and see what makes sense. What bits do we keep? What bits do we drop? How do we link all of these things together? Um, and so, yeah, at that time there were over 150 local authorities in England that had different responsibilities uh, for different parts of healthcare in different places. Um, um, each area had like a chief medical officer who was responsible for, you know, being in charge of that area. Um, and so, yeah, we had, um, you know, different sections for all of these different areas. And so, you know, the NHS uh, in part was to was to bring a lot of these things together and, yeah, and, and improve the, the quality of, of healthcare. Um, and so the, you know, the main parts of the project finally came together um, through a, a, a lady that's called 
Anurin Bevan. I'm not entirely sure if I pronounced that right, but that's how it reads to me. Anurin Bevan. Um, she became health minister in 1945, uh, and it was this lady who embarked on the campaign to bring about the NHS in the way that we are now um, familiar with. And so, uh, like I say, it's quite complicated. There's lots of stuff going on, but the project was largely based on three main ideas. Um, and so three essential values, basically. So these three values were firstly that the services helped everyone. Um, secondly, that healthcare was free. Uh, and finally, that the care would be based on the need rather than the ability to pay. So the services helped everyone, meaning it didn't matter if you were man, woman, child, white, black, or otherwise, uh, you could get access to healthcare. Um, second, that it was free because, of course, before you would have to pay the doctor when he came to your house, or you'd have to pay, you know, whoever it was that you're working with at the time of working with that person, which of course is not easy for a lot of people to do. Um, and then finally, that you would get care based on how much you needed it and not how much you could pay. So again, previously, if you had a lot of money, you could have gotten you could have gotten treatment before someone that needed it more, just because you were able to pay. And so those were the things that um, that they really wanted to eliminate. Those are the three kind of main values of the NHS. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how the NHS actually works. Um, it is very complicated, so I can't take you through all of it because I don't understand every element of it. And this actually is one of the problems that we do have with the NHS, the complications um, with its structure and things like that. Uh, but to give you guys you know, a bit of an overview, the NHS, of course, when I talk about it being free, it's not completely free because the NHS is funded mostly by taxes. Uh, so uh, we we, the British people, pay our taxes to the government and then the government allots a certain amount of money to the NHS. So the government are in control of how much money the NHS actually receives. Um, so the section of the government called the Ministry of Health, they decide on you know what's important, what's not, and they decide how much money they're going to give the NHS for their budget every year or every quarter or however it however it works. Um, this of course can cause lots of problems, it has caused lots caused lots of problems with cuts and you know making different cuts to the budget and I'm not having much money and all these kind of things you know the prioritization and the level of um, government involvement in the actual running of the NHS has, has caused different problems and different frictions uh, in the past so uh, the NHS has never been you know static it's always been changing and been adapting uh, there have been new acts and new different things that have been brought in to try and make things uh, fair try and improve the quality of service and, and just yeah try and improve the quality of uh, the whole the whole program the whole system um, and one of those was the health and social act of 2012 um, this involved several different things but one of the things that this act did it, it created a body of people uh, a group of people called NHS England um, and they in part aimed to keep the government out of the day-to-day -day running of the NHS so of course the government are still in charge of the budget of giving the money to the NHS um, but they're a lot less involved in in talking about you know how that money is spent and where it goes we have specific people from the NHS people that are you know more knowledgeable on that system and on healthcare in general um, <clears throat> 
But as I say, you know, the systems by which the NHS are run uh, are still quite complicated. Um, one of the reasons for that is that it's um, it's quite a strange entity to understand because um, it, it, it could be, um, well, you would be forgiven for thinking that maybe the NHS worked almost like a charity. Um, the, it, it's distinctly and, and specifically not a charity. Um, it is a business. Uh, it just, it runs very differently. And so um, it, it, it's quite complicated because, like I say, there are lots of different groups um, within the NHS. It's not just this one thing. Um, there are different groups that are in charge of organising and purchasing services and equipment to deal with different issues. Um, and often the competition between these different sections can cause, again, extra friction. Often there's um, you know, questions about who's really in charge, which group's more important, who takes priority, um, all of these different things. But um, of course, there's, like I say, these all these different groups and all these different subsections of the NHS, but they all work together more or less for, you know, a, a common goal, which is to, like I say, to uphold those main three values of, of uh, healthcare being available for everyone, regardless of if they can pay, uh, and being based on, you know, who needs it most. Um, and so... Yeah, like I said, there's these individual bodies, all these different groups of people that work with, uh, some of them work with charities, some of them work with private companies, some of them work with other councils or other government initiatives and different things. And so these all these different intertwining groups of people all working together to try and improve uh, our health system. Um, and so one of the big talking points with our our national health system more recently in recent years has been the idea of privatization right so currently we have a public health system uh, which means that if I, as a as a person in Britain, go to the hospital right now, no one's going to charge me. No one's going to ask me for any kind of monetary uh, information. I'm just going to be able to go get help and then leave um, and that's our public health system and of course if you have a private health system if you have a, a completely privatized health system then that would mean like we had before where you would have to pay at the point of sale which was the kind of the technical word right so when the doctor comes to your house when he does the treatment then you have to pay him in that moment so currently uh, the NHS is funded through our taxes and through a couple of other little things uh, but largely through through taxes and so for, for quite a long time now for a number of years uh, there has been conversations and arguments and debates about uh, the privatization of the NHS if it should be more privatized what would happen uh, if it gets privatized this again is quite a complicated subject because um, you we, what we have to understand here is that um, currently well to start with Private companies have always played a role in the NHS, um, but the critics of the privatization would claim that their involvement is um, is proof that we are 
we're undermining the values, the core values that the NHS was founded upon. So basically what I mean by that is that people are saying that the inclusion of private companies, of companies that are, you know, just here to make money, means that we're automatically moving away from these values of treat everyone as equal and treat people based on uh, on their needs and things like that. Uh, but private companies have always played a role in the NHS. You know, currently now there are private companies that supply equipment or services or training or different things like that uh, and they're always there always have been um, and even though this private uh, this privatization of the NHS has always been quite controversial um, th there have always been some services within our health system that have always been private for example the dentist uh, or, or the opticians who are the people who look at your eyes um, these are people that uh, generally speaking are, are they work privately. Most people, when they go to the dentist in the UK or they go to the optician, they pay. And they pay in that moment, they pay on the day. It doesn't come through the NHS. And so, um, yeah, there, 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 are, there are very various uh, examples of, of privatization already existing within the NHS. Uh, but on the other side of that, it does seem very clear that the more we prioritize privatization, the more importance we give to these private companies, the less focus there is on these core values, these core values of the NHS, again, in, in helping everyone and helping people based on their need and making it accessible to everyone, meaning that you, you don't have to pay. Um, and so there are, there are very strong arguments on both sides. You know, the people who are for prioritization, the people that want more, um, more privatization sorry um you know usually the main argument is that that will increase the quality of care that we are able to give if we are um working with more private companies the money fuels a better level of care um other people will argue basically the opposite right that once you have pr too much privatization in play um that people just care about profits they just care about numbers and you know the the experience of the patient and the care the quality of care that they get becomes second to just making more money um quite honestly it's it's hard to say you know what what uh, how we should how we should think and feel about these things it, it's based on a number of factors but i do think that one thing that we're pretty clear on uh, as a nation is the idea of having a completely privatized healthcare system seems like a pretty scary idea um we often have these comparisons, right, like England and the United States or Great Britain and the United States and things. And we like to laugh and joke about some of these silly little things. Um, but one of the things that as British people we struggle to understand about the United States is is their healthcare system. Uh, and you can see this reflected in lots of videos on YouTube, on Facebook and different social media where people will they'll walk around uh, say a city in the UK and they'll interview members of the public and they'll try and get them to guess you know, how much does it cost for this type of medicine? How much does it cost for an asthmatic person to, to buy an inhaler? How much does it cost for a diabetic person to get, you know, some sort of medicine for them? Um, and it's always 
way above what we would imagine and it's always so surprising and it's so scary to think that you know some people might not be able to have access to basic healthcare just because they don't have enough money in this moment um, and I think that um, whilst it's not as simple as that it's not uh, as, as clear-cut as that um, that is something that generally we would mostly agree on uh, that we want to avoid right so um, when we talk about the privatization of the NHS um, it's not quite as simple as just turning it into a business and making everyone pay. We already have elements of privatization within the NHS. It's very unlikely that we would ever have an NHS that has no involvement with private companies uh, but we do very clearly need to be careful about how far we let this go before we start to really lose sight of these core values the upon which the NHS was founded this idea of you know treat everyone treat everyone equally um, you know care for people based on their need rather than their ability to pay uh, and and make healthcare actually free and available for everyone so um, yeah that's a little bit of information about the NHS. Uh, it is quite a complicated system and quite a complicated history so I haven't been able to go through absolutely everything that's happened in the history of the NHS but hopefully you've learned a couple of little things. Maybe you found out a few bits of information about uh, how it was founded and, and what happened at the beginning, maybe what was happening before. Uh, but as always, as I always mention to you guys, I love to hear from you and so if you have any thoughts or opinions on this podcast, on this episode or on the podcast in general please feel free to get in touch with me you can contact me through the private learners group you can send me a message on instagram wherever you want so um, yeah i'm going to leave it there for today but thank you very much for listening i hope you guys enjoyed it and i'll look forward to speaking to you again in the next episode